Welcome to New City Church. This is Matt Freeman, and we are so thankful you are studying the Word of God with us. Jesus founded New City after our forever home, the New Jerusalem from Revelation 21. He wrote our mission statement to foster, strengthen, and grow an unashamed bride looking for Jesus' return. Let's lean completely on the anointing of the Holy Spirit to teach us all things from 1 John 2.27. God is so eager to teach you the depth of his word. Enjoy the study. Okay, we're going to dive in here to Zechariah chapter 6. And before we get into God's word, let's, we should do what we always do, which is open up in prayer and... This can work. There we go. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and let him teach us everything out of this. It's, it's going to be... It's a really special part of the Bible that I, didn't, I don't think I really realized how unique this portion of Scripture is until I started diving into it. So, Lord, we just thank you so much for this time together. God, we do thank you and we praise your name for what you are doing in this world and the fact that we get to be a small part of your plan in these last days. And so, God, we come before you. We yield our lives to you. We pray that you would teach us everything out of your word, out of your scriptures, God. And we thank you so much for leading our lives, leading our families. We thank you, God, for your protection around us. And God, we do pray against any attacks from the enemy, Lord, that are planned on our nation or planned in cities as a result of us standing for Israel We pray for the nation of Israel. We pray for your people. We pray for those Christians on both sides of the conflict. Lord, there are godly men and women and their families that live in Lebanon, in the Gaza Strip, in Israel, in Egypt, in Syria, and we pray protection around your people, that God, you would show them the way to escape, show them which train to take, which path to go on, protect their children, and Lord, we do pray for your people, your nation of Israel. Lord, we pray a protection around them. We thank you that in Psalms, it says that you who who watches over Israel neither sleeps nor slumbers, and God, we pray that you would awaken to the, the defense of your people. That is your land, God, and you've granted it to Abraham and his descendants, And the enemy has been against it ever since. And so we pray your protection and that your might would be shown in this hour. And again, thank you for this time as we open up your word, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, in Zechariah, if you remember our kind of our Old Testament timeline here, Zechariah is a a prophet post-exile. So Remember, the children of Israel get drug off to Babylon. They're there for 70 years. They are then released and given financial incentives, actually, from Cyrus to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. And Zechariah is raised up during that time when they are in Jerusalem trying to rebuild the temple, but they can't get very far because the wall's broken down, which Nehemiah rebuilds. Uh, Remember, Ezra's commissioned to try to rebuild the temple but they're very spiritually immature and they're not getting very far. And so Haggai is raised up to try to to encourage them to press on to complete the temple. 
Well, when he disappears, remember there's a pause for a long time, and Zachariah is raised up as a prophet to push them to spiritual maturity as a result. And so it's just a, it's an incredible book. Zechariah is an amazing prophet, very short, very short commission by God. And then after that, you have, after the exile, you have what a lot of people call the 400 uh, and silent years, which are, which are about 430 BC until Jesus showed up, that a lot of people think nothing happened in the Bible during that time. But actually Daniel 11 prophesies those 430 years in advance with precision, and so it's pretty incredible. They're all detailed there. It's, it, it chronicles the 400 years of struggle for Alexander the Great's kingdom. Remember when he dies, he gives his kingdom to the four generals. And so you have these four generals that are fighting for centuries and their descendants for that land before they're conquered by Rome. But that's all detailed in Daniel 11. Okay, remember Zechariah, the whole book speaks of Jesus, the whole book from beginning to end. And the Lord's going to speak of the stone with seven eyes, which is a curious link to Revelation. His throne and Jesus being crowned. Jesus the Nazarene. The king riding on a donkey. The shepherd, his betrayal for 30 pieces of silver. Jesus being pierced or crucified. His return in power. We're going to see that towards the end of the book. And remember the book starts out with a call to repentance. It's actually a lot of people believe it's the greatest call to repentance in the entire Old Testament the most passionate, I should say. The one with the most fruit actually is the one that Jonah has. Remember his eight word prophecy of after 40 days, uh, you shall be destroyed in Nineveh actually led to the entire city, probably millions of people repenting and turning to the Lord from the king all the way down to the least of them. And they all turned to the Lord as a result of Jonah's message, which had no remedy Remember, it had no remedy. They did that on the, based on the character of God from Jeremiah. Just incredible. But the Lord gives Zechariah these 10 visions, and we've gone through those now, one through 10, and they're all in one night. Remember, it starts with the rider under the myrtle trees, the four horns, the four smiths or carpenters, the man with the measuring line, Joshua and Satan, the branch, the lampstand and two olive trees, the flying scroll, and then the woman in the ephah, which is how Babylon ends up back in modern-day Iraq by the river Euphrates to receive the judgment declared on it by Isaiah 13 and 14, Jeremiah 15 and 51, and Revelation 17 and 18. And then it culminates these visions with the four chariots. And the rest of chapter 6 here details the crowning of Jesus. And this is fascinating. So remember the Lord gave Zechariah the vision of those four chariots and it was the final vision he received in that one night. This guy had a long night of, of these 10 visions from God. It was just constant. He was up all night prophesying and getting these visions from the Lord. And it completed a cycle. So remember, it starts off with the writers under the myrtle trees, and it culminates with them going forth in the book of Revelation chapter 6, those four horsemen that go out. And it culminates, the visions culminated with that. And so it's no surprise that after those visions, God has an errand for Zechariah, an errand to go crown King Jesus, which is exactly what happens at the end of the tribulation when Jesus rides in with many crowns and sets up the kingdom, the millennial reign of Christ. And so it's no surprise that how these visions culminated, then there's an errand for Zechariah to do.
And it's amazing that the crowning of the king really is the culmination of the entire biblical narrative. If you think about the entire Bible from where it starts, think about in Genesis 3.15. After Adam and Eve fall, the seed of the serpent will bruise his hill, but the seed of the woman will crush his head. And it's, that's the first title of Jesus in the Bible, the seed of the woman. It predicts a virgin birth, and it predicts our king crushing the head of the serpent once and for all and taking his rightful place on the throne in the millennium. It's just incredible, the crowning of Jesus. And everything in between, Genesis 3.15 and all the way to Revelation 19 when he comes back wearing those many crowns, everything in between that points to that moment. And it's, it will be the greatest event in the history of mankind. So after these visions, God now specifies it's an actual ceremonial errand in Zechariah to physically act out what would happen after all of these visions are completed in the end times. He's going to have the privilege to foreshadow the crowning of our Messiah. And right now, Jesus is not on his throne. He's sitting on the right hand of the Father. He's not on his throne yet. That's from Psalms 110 and Hebrews 12. Look at Hebrews 12 too. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. So Jesus is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. He's at the right hand of the Father. Remember, his throne is the throne of David from Luke chapter 1, verse 32. He shall be great and shall be called the son of the highest, as the angel Gabriel is speaking to Mary. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father, David. That is a ruling political throne on the earth that did not exist when Jesus walked this planet the first time. Rome ruled the world, not Israel. But there will come a day when Jesus takes his throne, the throne of David, on the earth from Jerusalem. Look at Psalms 110. Let's just read this. It's not very long. The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. Now remember Jesus uses this in John to, to confuse the religious zealots. What did David mean by my, the Lord said unto my Lord? If, the, if Jesus or the Messiah was to be the seed of David, how can David thus call him Lord? Remember he uses that to confuse the Pharisees and Sadducees and the religious zealots in Israel. And it's amazing how from that point on, they'd asked him no more questions because they couldn't, they couldn't figure it out. How could one be the seed of David and yet be the Lord over David? But it's, it's amazing. That's Jesus. He takes the entire word and just, he fulfills it. The Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou at my right hand until I make thou in thine enemies thy footstool. This is what the father said to Jesus when he walked in with that blood and sprinkled it on the mercy seat. He made atonement once and for all, and the Father said unto him, sit thou at my right hand, for how long? Until. If you, if you want to do an interesting study, go to Blue Letter Bible and type in two words. Type in until, and look at every verse in the Bible that has until in it. And then type in till, not take off the UN and just write till, and see every verse that has till in it. There's a lot of very pivotal things that happen after the until is fulfilled. 
if you search all over the Bible. It's incredible. The Lord shall send the rod of thy strength out of Zion. Rule thou in the midst of thine enemies. Thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power, in the beauties of holiness from the womb of the morning. Thou hast the dew of thy youth. The Lord hath sworn and will not repent. See, repenting, you and I think of repentance of having to do with sin, and indeed it does, turning away from it. But the act of repentance just means to turn away from. It means you make a commitment or, you, or there's something in your life and you've decided to turn from that. So when you and I turn from sin, we are, it's not the repenting, so to speak, that has to do with the sin. It's that action we're turning from the sin. Okay, I hope that makes sense. So a lot of times when you see in the Bible that the Lord will repent or not repent, it doesn't mean that he had sin in his life. It just means he's not turning away from what he said. He will not turn away from that. Okay, the Lord hath sworn and will not repent. Thou art, so this is God speaking to Jesus, thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So during communion, we talked about Melchizedek as a king and priest from Salem. The Lord at thy right hand shall strive through kings, strike through kings in the day of his wrath. And now that is, that is the tribulation when he comes back. Remember in Zechariah 14, we'll study at some point, he speaks and his word goes out and dissolves all the kings that are surrounding Jerusalem to take them out, to try to wipe out the Jews. He shall judge among the heathen. He shall fill the places with dead bodies. He shall wound the heads over many countries. That doesn't sound like the suffering servant Jesus that came to wash our feet. See, he's the lion and the lamb. He was the lamb first, but there comes a point that he's the lion of the tribe of Judah. And he will not let the wickedness in this world last forever. There comes a point where sin is so grievous, he has to come back and judge and set up his kingdom. He shall drink of the brook in the way. Therefore, shall he lift up the head. Okay, that's Psalms 110. So right now, Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. There comes a time when the church is complete from Romans, when the fullness of the Gentiles become in. The church is complete. The father's going to look at Jesus and say, go get them. Go get my bride. He comes down from heaven, from 1 Thessalonians 4 and 5, with a shout, and we go home with him in the rapture. Then there's a space of time, a space of time that's undetermined in the Bible for the Antichrist to be revealed. He makes a covenant with Israel. After that seven-year tribulation, Jesus then comes back and we are with him in Revelation 19 and he wipes out his enemies at Armageddon. And Hosea 5.15 is, ties into this where Jesus said, I will go and return to my place until they, being Israel, acknowledge their offense in their affliction, they will seek me earnestly. So in the, in the affliction of the tribulation, they will seek me and I will then, they will repent for missing me the first time, for crucifying their Messiah. I will hear them from heaven. I will open up space and time itself, come from my throne room, come down and rescue my people. And we get the, the privilege of being with him. So opening up Zechariah 6 here, what leads to that moment? And the word of the Lord came unto me saying, starting in verse nine, take of them of the captivity. So the visions are over, this is an actual event that Zechariah has to go do. Even of Heldai, Tob 
Tobijah and Jedediah, Jedediah, which are come from Babylon and come thou the same day and go into the house of Josiah, the son of Zephaniah. So these three names, they were of the exiled Israelites who were in Babylon. Okay, they were exiles. They were bringing gifts to Israel. They were bringing them down to Israel to offer gifts and financing to help rebuild the temple. And God is telling Zechariah, go and receive, accept these donations of these exiles, despite their refusal to return to Israel, help rebuild the temple and leave Babylon. So remember when, when Cyrus conquers Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon, when Persia conquers Babylon, Cyrus provides them financial incentives to go rebuild the temple. And of the millions of Jews there, only 50,000 of them took him up on the offer because the rest of them were very comfortable in bondage. The rest of them were very comfortable in Babylon. They were comfortable having food provided for them. They were comfortable to have a steady job, to work the fields, to do whatever Nebuchadnezzar and, and Babylon and then Cyrus afterward wanted them to do. It's kind of like the children of Israel when they were delivered out of Egypt. Remember they told Moses, what did you do? Did you just bring us in the wilderness to kill us? You know, at least there we had leeks and cucumbers and a steady job and the government took care of us and we were well nourished and fed. And that's the attitude of most of the Israelites after Babylon is conquered by Cyrus. And you and I run the risk of serving God in the same manner today. You and I run the risk of saying, you know, we're kind of comfortable here in this world. We're comfortable in our jobs. We're comfortable in just being taken care of. And we'll go to church and check the, check the box on Sunday and then go home and get back to our business during the week and not think about God again or open up his word until the following Sunday. And then it, we just get in this cycle of comfort. Comfort can be an idol. Comfort needs to be put in its place. God, nowhere in the Bible does Jesus say, come and follow me and you'll be very comfortable. He says quite the opposite. Come and follow me and there will be, you will have suffer persecution. You live for me and walk on this path that I've got for you. You will be tried. You will be challenged. I will stretch you beyond any measure that you think you could handle, but I will be there. I'll take care of you. I will not forsake you. And if you trust me, He'll, he'll treat you like Elijah. The ravens of the air fed Elijah. He didn't have some, someone else doing it. And supernatural provision will take hold in your life. You just have to trust him for whatever he's calling you to do. And for some of you, that may be in your place of employment, that may be in your school, that may be to be a witness somewhere in your life. Wherever God has you, you need to search that out and find out what he's got for you. Okay, the... But these three guys, they're coming down and Zachariah is not to look at them and say, hey, you wouldn't come and join us down here so we don't want your provision. We don't want what you're giving to the temple. God is saying, welcome them, accept their offering. You know, a lot of times if you have Christians or friends in your lives that are uh, carnal Christians might be the word, maybe they're taking the easy route of the walk with God, whatever it is, you know, this, this principle here applies too come alongside them and when they step in and do want to help, welcome them and be an encouragement to them. This is also analogous. Remember in the wilderness wanderings, there were two and a half tribes that wanted their inheritance east of the Jordan 
It was Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. They didn't want to cross the Jordan into the promised land. They wanted to stay east of the Jordan where it was comfortable, where it had already been conquered, where they had everything for them. But they were instructed and God said, okay, if you don't want to walk into your inheritance, that's fine, but you've got to help the other tribes conquer the land. And if you do that, I will bless you where you are. But they were never to stay on the east side of the Jordan. Never. God wanted them to press on, press on in their lives. And that principle here is for you and I as well regarding sacrifice. The Jordan River, it's a dividing point. It's a dividing line. You've got to cross the Jordan, but to cross the Jordan, it takes sacrifice. There are then, there are wars that take place in the promised land. That's actually really when you get in the fight. If you think about the wilderness wanderings, they had the manna provided for them. Uh, They had some skirmishes, but really not a, a ton of wars, so to speak. They just wiped out Og and all these other guys and conquered these lands. And Balaam even tried, Balaam and Balak, remember they tried to curse them, but they couldn't because God's hand was upon them. So you have a lot of protection and provision east of the Jordan. But if you want to cross over and get into the army of God, it takes sacrifice. And to cross over that dividing line of I'm going to give everything I have to the king and get in the fight with him. Because remember, Jesus led the battle at Jericho. So the question for all of us is, are you willing in your life to press on toward your inheritance, cross the Jordan? You know, you have to do that if you want to partake in the sufferings of Christ to get in the battle. Look at 1 Peter 4, 12, and 13. Beloved, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you. So when a lot of times when you go through trials and you've got something in your life going on, don't think it's strange according to 1 Peter 4. If you're abiding in Jesus, something, he's doing something radical in your life. And he wants to refine something off of you or teach you a, a lesson or equip you for something greater as though some s- strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice in as much as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. So if you partake in Christ's sufferings, you also get to rule and reign with him. It's pretty amazing. In verse 10, take of them of the captivity. Okay, even of these guys. So Heldai means the Lord's world or robust or worldly. So this worldly man didn't want to come down and join Israel in the sufferings and the work and put his hand to try to rebuild the temple. Tobijah means Yahweh is good or God's goodness. Uh, Jedediah means Yahweh knows or Jehovah has known. I think that's interesting. God has known God's goodness of your worldly position and where you're wanting to stay. You could put it in that order, so to speak. This delegation is bringing donations for the construction of the temple and they were being entertained at Josiah's house. So Josiah means the Lord supports and he's the grandson or the son of Zephaniah, and he means the Lord conceals. So the Lord supports and the Lord conceals. Okay, starting in verse 11, this is what Zechariah is to do. Then take silver and gold, so these offerings, and make crowns and set them upon the head of Joshua, the son of Josiah, the high priest. Now remember that Joshua, Yeshua, Yehoshua is a variant form of Yeshua in Hebrew. 
So remember we looked at this earlier in the book. Joshua actually is a variant form of the name of Jesus. So it's one reason why studying the book of Joshua is amazing is you have a, a book of the Old Testament with the name of Jesus on it, which is incredible. But Joshua or Yehoshua means Yahweh is deliverance. So this delegation with princely gifts acts as a precursor to the vast number of Gentiles who will bring their tribute to the king and their wealth to build his temple in the millennium. That's, what, that's what's being foreshadowed here. So silver always represents blood. So take silver and gold. Silver in the, in the Bible always represents blood, Levitically speaking. That's why, remember, Jesus was betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. His blood, was he was betrayed. The tabernacle, when they were roaming around the wilderness, it always rested on silver sockets. So the covenant of our covenant, our way to God, rested on the blood of Jesus. Okay, we track down silver all through the Bible. It always represents blood. And that's one of the, the covenant, obviously, rests on his blood, which we, we talked about during communion this morning. Gold, I've got a typo there, sorry. Uh, God also represents his deity, but gold represents his deity and kingship. Okay, and then, so you have his deity and his blood or representing his priesthood here in the crowns that are being made. Notice that there are multiple crowns made. Set them upon the head of Joshua. Make crowns, plural. You know, how many crowns could you put on your head right now? In, in this three and a half dimensions that we live in, I could, I could maybe put one or maybe you could balance two, but how is he gonna wear all of these crowns? It's one of the hints, it's just a hint, but it's a hint of the hyper dimensions that we get to enjoy on the other side of this. Remember Jesus, he could walk in and out of rooms in his resurrected body without ever going through the door. See, he, he enjoys access to the other six and a half dimensions you and I don't have access to that were fractured at the fall of Adam. And quantum physics has determined those and found those, but that's where the throne room of God is. That's where you and I get to sit with him. And so you have this hyper dimension, even in him wearing many crowns. It's incredible. Now you see him in Revelation 19, 12, when he comes back. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. He himself. Eyes as a flame of fire. You know, his eyes were not like that the first time. He was humble. He humbled himself even unto the cross, even to death. And he came to wash our feet. He came to be our Messiah, our once and for all sacrifice. But he will come back to rule and reign. And he will have many crowns and he will take his rightful place as the king of the universe and he will set up his throne in Jerusalem and rule and reign for a thousand years according to Revelation 20, 21, and 22. And after that, there's a new heaven and a new earth. But before then, we've got to go home wearing many crowns. So Zacharias to make these crowns representing a royal priesthood, silver and gold, and then to set those crowns on one who is the high priest. Now this is fascinating in the Old Testament because set them upon the head of Joshua, the high priest. Now remember, this isn't the Joshua that led them in the land. This is Joshua, the high priest. But the high priest was not to have crowns in the Old Testament. Remember, 
the high priest, the priesthood, and the royal line through the tribe of Judah, they were always to be kept separate. They were always separate. That's why Melchizedek is so unique, that he's a king and a priest. That's why the church is so unique, that we, from 1 Peter 3, are kings and priests. And so why are the crowns being set on Joshua, the high priest? I think it's incredible. He's foreshadowing that there will be a high priest who takes his place as king. And what he's foreshadowing, obviously, is Jesus. So Joshua, he could not wear the crown. Remember one high priest in uh, First and Second Chronicles, he tried, or I'm sorry, one king, tried to do a priestly duty, and God smacked him, <laughs> and, and he smote him, was like, hey, you can't do that. The line of Judah, you are to be the royal line. The line of Levi, you are to be the priestly line in the priestly office. It was confined to the, to the tribe of Levi. So it's all a foreshadow of our priestly King Jesus. In verse 12 here, so in Zechariah, God's telling Zechariah, speak unto them saying, thus speaketh the Lord of hosts saying, behold the man whose name is the branch and he shall grow up out of his place and he shall build the temple of the Lord. So the branch, remember this name first showed up back in Zechariah 3, we studied this. But the Targum, I love this translation. It's an Aramaic translation of the Old Testament. But it paraphrases and renders this passage, Behold the man, Messiah is his name, who is to be revealed. And the branch, this is such an interesting, interesting name for Jesus. He shall grow up in his place though, and he shall build the temple of the Lord. See, the temple was never to be built by Solomon. God didn't want that. He wanted the permanent temple built by Jesus when he set it up, when he was going to set up the millennium, and it'd be the millennium temple. But in total, God uses the word the branch, remember it's shemek or semek, in four different ways, also linking to the four different gospels. So Jesus is presented as sema or semek, the branch, four different ways in the Bible. In, Zechariah, or in Jeremiah 23, 5, he's presented as the branch as the Messiah from Jeremiah 23. Mark presents the branch as the suffering servant from Zechariah 3, 8. Luke presents the branch as the son of man, right here that we just read. Behold the branch and he shall, behold the man whose name is the branch and he shall grow up out of his place. John represents the branch as the son of God from Isaiah 4, verse 2. So you have the branch in those four ways modeling the four gospels and obviously then they're modeled by the cherubim that surround God's throne in, in Ezekiel, Isaiah, and Revelation 4 and 5. You have the four faces of the cherubim, man, a lion, an ox, and an eagle. And those four faces represent the four gospels. Mark being the ox, a suffering servant, the eagle being John of the preexistent one who's high above all things, and the line of the tribe of Judah being uh, Matthew, the line of the tribe of Judah, and then the man from Luke. Luke covers the humanity of Jesus. So you're speaking of Emmanuel. God is with us in Revelation 19. We will be with him and rule and reign. Okay, so you have those four ways that the branch is used. Emmanuel, God is with us in Revelation 19. Isaiah 4.2 covers that. The branch is the offspring of David from Jeremiah 23 and 33. We talked about that. The branch is the son of man to take back what Adam forfeited from the very beginning. He forfeited 
his right and title deed of the earth. When Satan usurped it, Adam forfeited it as Satan. Jesus paid the price to win it back, and then he will rightfully take it back when he comes back in Revelation 19. And that's the branch, the branch, our Messiah. Remember what Pilate said to Jesus in John, in John 19, verse 5? Then came Jesus forth wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate saith unto them, Behold the man. So even Pilate, see, I will not be surprised to see Pilate in heaven because he wanted nothing to do with crucifying Jesus. Remember his wife had the dream and she told him, do not do this, have nothing to do with this man. And Pilate stands there before the crowd and he washes his hands in the cup, in the basin, and he says, his blood be on you. I have nothing to do with murdering this man who's innocent. And so, and then even after they kill Jesus and crucify him and he's in the tomb, remember they come to him and they say, hey, put a Roman guard, put a watch at the tomb because the disciples are gonna come and try to steal this guy's body and make everyone think that he was resurrected. And remember he tells them, hey, you can go put as many men as you want at that tomb, go make it as sure as you can, put a seal on it, put my signet on it, whatever you wanna do, go ahead. And you can hear the sarcasm in his voice because he knew Jesus was not being buried. He was coming out of that tomb. See, you can't bury the truth. Remember Jesus said, I am the truth. The truth will never stay buried. It always comes out. And the son of God, when he was resurrected and he rose up off that table and heaven and earth stood still and time and eternity collided. And I bet there were trillions and trillions of rays of light in that tomb, just colliding together, piercing that rock to the end of the universe and back. And Jesus woke up and that body rose off that table and he walked right out of that tomb, never to, never for us, for you and I, to never taste death again. See, the only dying you'll really do is when you gave your life to Jesus. Did you ever think about that? That's the only dying you will ever really go through is the day you surrendered your life to the king. But once again, humanity will cry, behold the man, when Jesus rides in with eyes of a flame of fire down that white horse. So we'll be with him, and he's wearing many crowns. And the earth will tremble and mourn, and that's all in 1 Chronicles 16 and Hebrews 12. Joel 2, verse 10, the earth shall quake before them, the heavens shall tremble, the sun and the moon shall be dark, and the stars shall withdraw their shining. Okay, so the branch, he's getting the crowns here. He shall build the millennial temple. You know, the temple, I'm convinced, when God, when David asks to build the temple, remember what God says to him? Who told you I want a temple? He asks him a sarcastic question. Who said anything about me wanting a temple? And what he wanted was that temporary tabernacle that he gave Moses all of the details on at Mount Sinai. Remember, Moses not only gets the Ten Commandments, he gets all the blueprints for the tabernacle. And he, he built it according to God's word. God wanted the tabernacle to represent the blood, so many sacrifices in it, its temporary uh, stay on, on the earth. It moved around. It was to represent Jesus' first arrival the second arrival of him permanently being with us is the millennial temple. 
and the dimensions of it are all throughout Ezekiel, chapters 40 through 42. But Jesus is going to rebuild the millennial temple. And so all of the heathen nations around Israel, they had these glorious grand temples to these false pagan gods. And that's where Israel was looking at going, well, wait a minute, our God is way better than them. He needs a permanent temple like they do. And God didn't want that. God wanted a temporary place of humility to come into a relationship with him. Then when he comes back, there'll be a glorious ruling and reign of Christ on the earth. Okay, in verse 13 here in Zechariah 6, even he shall build the temple of the Lord and he shall bear the glory and shall sit and rule upon his throne. Remember we talked about that. He's not on his throne yet, but he will be. And he shall be a priest upon his throne and the council of peace shall be between them both. You know, Isaiah, Isaiah uh, chapter nine, verse six is the only place in the Bible that God calls Jesus the counselor. It's in the verses that we all use at Christmas. It's, it's incredible. Uh, but he is the counselor and the council of peace shall be between them. The entire Bible's leading to this point, as I mentioned. You know, the, the church has to be raptured. The indwelling Holy Spirit, think about before Jesus left. Remember what he told them in John after he was resurrected? In John 14, he said, I must go so the comforter can come. Sorry, it was before he was resurrected. I mean, before he was crucified, but I must leave so the comforter can come. Jesus leaving coincided with the Holy Spirit being poured out 50 days after his ascension, the day of Pentecost, in Acts 2, when the Holy Spirit was given to you and I to be a permanent indwelling within the church. Well, that Holy Spirit must leave so that, th that Jesus, the rightful king, can come back. For some reason, they're exclusive of one another on the earth. And I, I don't exactly understand why that is, but the Holy Spirit never indwelled the believer before Jesus was crucified. Uh, remember, the Holy Spirit would come and go all throughout the Old Testament. That's why in Psalms, David was crying out to God, take thy spirit not from me, because it would come upon him and he would, he would write, he would, the Holy Spirit would write through him and bless him and then it would leave. And you see that all through Ezekiel as well. But after he, after he comes back, he'll go to war and dispose the world from Satan, demons, fallen angels, all of that. So that's the tribulation is all about him getting the earth ready for him to return. What Satan usurped from Adam, the rightful king will take it back. That's why in 1 Corinthians 15, 45, one of the titles of Jesus is the last Adam, the last Adam. See, the first Adam gave up the earth and our right to it, dominion of it. The last Adam, Jesus will take it back. Now, actually, that's a really cool name of the Lord because what did Adam do? See, Eve was deceived and she fell into transgression. Adam, according to the, the New Testament, willingly joined her in her predicament. So his bride was fallen in a state of sin forever to be separated from God. Adam, imagine Adam when he comes home, right? Man, Eve, you really, you really kind of messed it up here. I don't, I don't know what to do here. No, he didn't say that. <laughs> he knew that he had to get into the predicament with her. And by him joining her in her place, the line of the Messiah would be secured and come to pass so that he knew she would be redeemed. And that's exactly what Jesus did. He saw us, his bride, in a predicament. And he joined us in our place 
took our place so that we could be redeemed. That's why he's given that title, the last Adam. Okay, in this verse here, um, look what God says. And to Jedidiah, to Hen, the son of Zephaniah, for memorial in the temple of the Lord. God gives a nickname to Josiah here. He calls him Hen, which is interesting. It means graciousness. Now, these crowns are going to be a memorial. According to an, to an ancient Jewish writing, the Midot, a rabbinical authority on the temple, the crowns actually that Zechariah did here, that they fashioned and gave to Josiah, they were hung in the windows of the temple as a, as a memorial. And I think that's kind of neat. You don't find that in the Bible, so take it for what it's worth. But it was a memorial of the ceremonial crowning that would foreshadow the crowning of Jesus in the millennium. And I think that's really cool. That's constantly to remind the people of the prophetic implications of the Messiah. Okay, the last verse here. And they that are far off shall come and build in the temple of the Lord, and ye shall know that the Lord of hosts hath sent me unto you. And this shall come to pass if ye will diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God. So right here, Jesus starts to speak. Ye shall know that the Lord of hosts hath sent me unto you. The branch himself establishes the truth of the word of God. And remember, in the beginning was the word. Jesus is the word. When you sit down and you open the word of God, it is not a logical exercise. It is a supernatural spiritual one. And you have the indwelling Holy Spirit to teach you everything out of God's word because he is the author. He wrote it. You don't need a man to teach it to you. You don't need anyone else in this world to try to tell you what it says if you give Jesus and the Holy Spirit time and space for, to, for the author himself to teach you. It is amazing what he will start to unlock in your life. And then he may bring people in your life. There's nothing wrong with pastors or commentaries or anything like that. Churches, teachers, I mean, obviously. Um, but when you give God rightful place as the first line in your life, it is amazing what you will hear from then on out. Your life will never be the same. And what you're looking at here, there will come a point that everything in your life culminates and is, and is finished. And you will go home. And you and I on the other side of this thing will look back and only from 1 Corinthians 3, remember, only what you did in the spirit will echo for all eternity. Gold, silver, precious stones, or wood, hay, stubble. When you stand before Jesus, everything in your life is tried by fire and your salvation is not on trial. It's what you did for him, for the king. And what's, what remains, the gold, silver, and precious stones, go into part of those crowns that we're gonna throw at the feet of Jesus in Revelation four and five. It's incredible. So look at that. Look at that condition there, though. If ye obey. And that echoes throughout the whole Bible. Remember Deuteronomy 28.1, and it shall come to pass, if thou shalt hearken diligently unto the voice of the Lord thy God, to observe and to do all his commandments which I command thee this day, that the Lord thy God will set thee on high above all nations of the earth. There are constantly throughout the Bible, there's all of, always a prerequisite. You've got to obey the voice of God. You cannot be hearers of the word only. You have to be doers also. You've got to hear what God says and actually do something with it. It's important. 
and there are conditions to participating and having a great inheritance on the other side of this. God is a rewarder, according to Hebrews 12. Actually, Hebrews all over the book of Hebrews. But he's a rewarder to those that diligently seek him. Remember in Revelation 5.10, he has made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. Look at 2 Timothy, starting in verse 1. Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is Christ, in Christ Jesus. And the things that thou hast heard of me, among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men, who shall be able to teach others also. Thou therefore endure hardness as what? As a good soldier of Jesus Christ. You are in the army of God. You are part of the army of God, a soldier of Jesus and you have commandments to follow, you have orders, you've got a place, a station to keep watch over. You have a duty to the king. No man that worth, that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life. Don't let the affairs of this life trip you up because they will choke away the word of God in your life. Remember the parable of the sower? When he put the seed out, the cares and the, and the affairs of this world grew up as thorns and choked it out for 25% of those people. There's, there's a mathematical probability there in that parable. There's four types of people. And the one that, that lets the seed, the word of God, take root in their life, they bear fruit for the kingdom. It's amazing. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may praise him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. And if man also strive for masteries, yet is he not crowned except he strive lawfully? The husbandman that laboreth must be first partaker of the fruits. Consider what I say, and the Lord give thee understanding in all things. Boy, we should pray that for all of us. Consider what God says in his word, and he will grant you understanding in all things in your life. Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel wherein I suffered trouble as an evildoer, <laughs> even unto bonds, but the word of God is not bound. You know, the world looks at you and I, the world looks at you and I as a troublemaker. You know, when you live for the king and you're walking and abiding as a Christian and you're giving to the poor and you're clothing the homeless and you're helping the sick and you're taking care of those in need and orphans and widows and you're living according to God's word and doing nothing wrong in this earth, the world still hates you because you are not of this world. You're merely in it right now. And, and the enemy hates you and I. He is out to destroy us. Remember what God said of Satan? He roams around as a, as a lion, seeking whom he may devour. You've got to be in God's word so he can't devour you. In 2 Timothy 2, verse 10 here, therefore I endure all things for the elect's sake, that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. It is a faithful saying, for if we be dead with him, we shall also live with him. You have the promise of the resurrection because Jesus did. If we suffer, look at that conditional, if we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also will deny us. If we believe not, yet he abideth faithful, he cannot deny himself. Of these things, put them in remembrance, charging them before the Lord that they strive not about words to no profit, but to the subverting 
of the heavens, of the hearers. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of God. But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness, and their word will eat as a doth, as doth a canker, of whom, and then he names these two people that were in God, they were part of the church, Hymenaeus and Philetus, Philetus. They uh, ate up the words of the evil ones, and it ate away at their walk with the Lord, who concerning the truth have erred, saying that the resurrection has passed already, and overthrow the faith of some. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his, and let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. So when you name the name of Christ, you and I, we have a commandment. We've got to depart from iniquity. See, before you're born again, you are a slave to sin. And frankly, there's nothing you can do about it. Sin has you because you don't have the indwelling Holy Spirit to break free of it yet. Once you become born again and you have the Holy Spirit in you, you have all authority over all sin in your life. You just have to exercise it. You've got to talk to it and tell it it has no place here. By my words and by the word of God, I am speaking life. Remember in James, your, the tongue has the power of life and death. So you've got to be in God's word and make sure you're bearing God's word in your heart so that you can speak it. So you can speak it and show yourself approved. Okay, you and I, we're a part of the army of God to wrap up here. And you've got to view your responsibility in that perspective from 2 Timothy 2, like we just read, a soldier in God's army, a soldier to the king. You know, in the armies of God, you've got certain attire you need to wear. You have, con you have to conduct yourself in a certain manner, in a righteous in a holy manner before the king. And once you start doing that, I am telling you, God has a call on your life that no, no amount of wickedness or occultic activity or witch or warlock or anybody in these times can take from you. You just have to, have to abide in the king. And, and when you walk as a light unto this world, you're gonna walk out there and darkness cannot remain where you are. Because no matter how dark it is, when one light walks in the room, it lights up the whole space. So you've gotta do that. Yield your life to the king, because Jesus is the mediator of the new covenant right now. And his blood, this is that verse, Hebrews 12, 24, the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. His blood, I do think you and I will spend an eternity trying to figure out what it cost him, what it really cost him to die on that cross for us. And his blood does speak the ultimate testimony, the forever testimony. And we're gonna plead the blood of Jesus over our nation in this land right now. But if you are here and you are not born again, it's so simple, Romans 10, 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. You are forever born again in the spirit in that moment, never to be unborn. That's why Jesus said in John 3, you must be born again. How can one be unborn once they're born? You can't, you cannot lose your salvation. So give your life to God. What, what then you have to do is yield your life and start on that sanctification process 
and let the Lord refine everything off of you that you are carrying, anything in your life that you had not given to him. And if you need anything, there's our email address. Just reach out to us. Lord, we come before you right now. We thank you for this time together. God, we thank you for your blood, Jesus, that speaks a better testimony, the ultimate testimony. And Lord Jesus, right now, we, we plead your blood over our land, our nation, to cover us, our families, our children. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would go forth and fight for us, just as you did in Joshua 5. Draw your sword and go out and cancel every assignment from the enemy on our land, on our cities, on our schools, on our families, any occultic activity, any seance, we pray babble in the camps of the enemy. We pray babble. We pray that you would confuse their communication, that they would swallow their own words and that it would be guile in their stomachs. It'd be sour to them to the point that they run to the feet of the, the word, the word of God who became flesh and tabernacled amongst us. We pray that in this season, Lord, as we go to October 31st, that all of those people that would celebrate Satan on that night, we pray, God, that that your spirit would move in their lives and draw them to you. We pray for revival amongst those people that have been your enemies. We pray that you would save them from the uttermost. We pray that you would protect Israel. We pray that, God, you would move in a way to protect your people of the, of the descendants of Abraham, that they would have no choice but to see you as the true Messiah of who you are. God, we know from Zechariah 13 that in the tribulation, two out of three Jews will die. But, God, that is a ratio. It's not a number. And all of those right now that come to know you in faith and take their rightful place in your church, they will be raptured out of here and not given that fate. And so we pray over Israel. We pray that those people, that there is a radical move of the spirit throughout that nation and that the blinders come off and your people see you for who you are, Jesus, as the rightful king and Messiah, their Messiah from the line of the tribe of Judah, the Messiah that came to to fulfill every word of the Old Testament. And Lord Jesus, we know that you will fulfill every word of, of the entire Bible. And we thank you for that. Be with us as we leave this place. Protect us in the week ahead. And as we gather for fellowship on Tuesday evening, we pray that you'd bless our time together and meet us right here next Sunday as we gather around your word, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.